This is Transistor.fm. Hey, product people. Have you ever wanted to launch a successful Kickstarter, create your own web application, and write your own book? Well, you're going to love this episode because Tracy Osborne, today's guest, has done all three of those things. Uh, first, I think we need a little update from me, Justin Jackson, because it's been a while since we've had an episode. Uh, I just flew to Barcelona for MicroConf Europe. Uh, Mike and Rob invited me to speak. Uh, I opened up the conference there, and I just had an incredible time uh, hanging out with all these folks from Europe that I've never met in person before. Uh, these are people that have been listening to this podcast since day one. Uh, these are people who have you know, bought a lot of the things I've made. These are people who I've developed good friendships with just talking on email or on Twitter or in Slack. And it was just a pleasure to get to know them, to be able to talk to them face-to-face. Um, I, I asked my wife booked my travel for this, this trip and I told her, you know, just book me three or four days for the conference and then I'll fly home. And she ended up booking me 12 days. She wanted me to go and enjoy, uh, being in Barcelona. And, uh, I was a little bit worried about that. Uh, I haven't taken a break in a long time and it's kind of, sometimes I feel like, you know, if I stop working, if I, if I stop, slow down the train that everything's going to kind of fall apart. And uh, everything didn't fall apart. I uh, took a lot of time off. I ended up hanging out with Mark Kuhlberger from Betalist uh, almost every single day after the conference. We went in, uh, we went to Sagrada Familia, which is that big, crazy cathedral. Uh, we went on a bunch of hikes. We took photos of us overlooking Barcelona. And um, yeah, it was just a very relaxing time. And, uh, highly, if you can, I, I mean, I, I felt like I couldn't afford to, to take that much time off, especially with my book coming out, Marketing for Developers. I managed to get the beta out right before I left. There's about 70 people in the beta right now. And, um, I'm hoping to have the final launch in October now. It's pushed out a little bit. Uh, working on the video tutorials right now. If you want more information on that, justinjackson.ca slash marketing for developers. Um, but anyway, I, I thought, man, I can't afford to take time off. And I, I'm just really glad I did. It, uh, it was really great to just not think about work, to let my mind recharge. And I've been talking to a few folks since then. And a lot of people seem to have this strategy of taking time off. Uh, individually, even if you're married to, to go off, uh, without your family and just have some time to renew yourself. Uh, one of my favorite moments of the trip was sitting in this coffee shop in Barcelona called Satan's Coffee and just reading these magazines that the coffee shop didn't have Wi-Fi. And so I was just reading these magazines and these interviews with interesting architects. Um, I read an interview about Dan Wyden from Wyden and Kennedy. Uh, which is a big ad firm in Portland. So yeah, just an incredible time. Glad I'm back, uh, getting back on the train and uh, finishing off marketing for developers. I also have an announcement coming up for a new thing I'm working on uh, that'll probably yeah, I'll probably release some some things about it uh, in October. 
that's all I'll say for now. It's another podcast. And uh, in the vein of this podcast, Product People, and the other one I did, Build and Launch, it kind of incorporates both of those elements. All right. That is about four minutes of yakking from me, which is way too much. Let's get into this interview with Tracy Osborne. You're going to love it. Here it is. Tracy, why don't you give us a little bit of background on you? Uh, what have you been making lately? And you know, how did that kind of all get started? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so this kind of all started about five and a half years ago. I was working at a startup and uh, it started in college. It was really cool. We were working uh, in a garage, just a bunch of me and a bunch of dudes. And I was the designer. And I worked with them for four and a half years. Uh, and after four and a half years, I kind of learned everything I was going to learn at the startup and uh, realized that I kind of really wanted to not have a boss for a while. So as a designer, I quit and I started freelancing. I did freelancing over the summer. My husband was going through YC. And so I I actually worked with a bunch of YC startups designing their websites, which was a good experience. Yeah, but it was... Your husband husband is in this space as well. Yeah, he he works for himself as well. Um, His YC company, uh, he ended up leaving that company, but he started another company, which he then got acquired by Google. and then he left Google and now he's working on companies just, you know, with me as we travel. Oh, so he's, cool. he's a cool inspiration. So he's yeah. been actually helping me a lot with all of this because when he was in YC, I watched him go through that. And I'm like, dude, that looks so cool. I want to be a startup founder as well. Um, <laughs> and freelancing was fun, but it was still like, as a designer, I had to go to these people and be like, hey, this is what I recommend. And they're like, nah. And I'm like, ah, oh, they kind of drove me nuts. I got into my head that I really, really, truly wanted to work for myself and and build something and get into YC and all that. Yeah. So you started off as a designer. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because if you look at Tracy's stuff, folks, if you go to Hello Web App or Wedding Lovely, it is very well designed. Oh, thank you. And uh, the book itself just looks beautiful. So I was was wondering, that was one of my questions is, did you do the design for that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you did. That's that's awesome. Okay. Yeah, I have a kind of a tech background. I mean, I've been working on websites uh, since I was eleven, which which is like uh, nineteen ninety five. Uh, my both of my family has worked in tech. My uncle used to work at Apple. My my grandfather worked at IBM. Uh, so I've always was around computers. I just started building HTML websites. And when I went to college, I thought, oh, I'm doing HTML websites. That obviously means I'm a programmer. Uh, and I went into computer science at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And it was an awful experience. I'm oh, not really? a I'm not a education like a computer science in a academic setting um, with all the theory and everything just did not jive with me. And I did not learn. We were learning Java too, which is <laughs> I've heard yeah. is not the best for learning your first programming language on. Yeah. Um, so I and I had this awful experience with one professor, which kind of led me to rage quitting. I switched over to an art degree so I can do graphic design instead. Interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. Can we can we stop right there for a second because. Yeah. Obviously, uh, women in tech is a, a a topic that comes up quite a bit, mm-hmm. and also, um, you know, people are talking a lot about women in STEM and and things like that. So, what what specifically about was there anything um, specifically about the course? Like, did you feel like that was the program was just more not for you, or was there something about being a woman in that setting that was, you know, not working? 
Yeah, I was lucky. There's a lot of other chicks in my classes with me, which is cool. I mean, it wasn't like 50-50. I want to say it was maybe 20, 20, 2080 women in my classes. I don't want to say it was me because I'm such a visual person. Uh, My... Our school was on semesters and quarters. In second quarter, I took a class where we started learning GUIs. And I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want to do. Like, this is really cool. I can, like, press a button and then write the thing to make the thing work. But computer science is really not about that. Um, It was like, you know, you get to know this. But then I moved into the third quarter. This was the awful class. And it was more about theory. Like, a good half of the class, a half of the quarter, was dedicated to a project where we had to go through – sorting methods we had yeah. to like reverse engineer sorting methods and, or something like that and write this whole paper on like why ones are better ones aren't and like how are we run these tests and it was i just bombed it it was i mean for me working with a real life application which is yeah. why that programming really works well for me when i can see the results uh live and work with customers it's like everything started clicking at that moment but computer yeah. science um that professor in that one class, I was not getting it. And I sent him an email about it. And he sent me back this rant saying how I never study, which is not true. Yeah. Uh, about how I was being a terrible student and skating through life. I don't know why he did that. And I was, it was wow. the moment where I'm like, I can't be in computer science anymore. This guy is awful. So I want to go back to him and be like, hey, you thought I couldn't be a programmer. Look, I'm writing books about this. I really fantasize about this. To, to, be, to, to be, yeah, yeah, because that's pretty antagonistic on his half. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah, and um, it, it's funny because that, that brings up, you know, a lot of questions about, you know, um, yeah, like what is programming and what's required to become a programmer? Yeah. And um, and actually, that would be interesting to know, like, um. In terms of theory, how did you approach theory in your book? Uh, is it do you, really. <laughs> you, you find like it's just really about the hands-on, like building? Yeah. The- well, my goal with the book was basically a lot of other programming books, they throw in the theory. And I feel like for a person who's not a programmer that's jumping the programming for the first time, uh, like me in college, they need to see the actual results about what's going on. And theory can come in like step two. But step one is to get that moment of success. Like this is what we're doing. And then you can build that in afterwards. So in my book, I I very much uh, avoid a lot of technical explanations. I try to, I don't want to say dumb it down because it's not dumbed down, but it's definitely to real words. I don't use acronyms. I don't try to throw in fancy pants words. I try to be really goofy in the book uh, to make it seem more real, like more friendly. And, you know, it's just, I hope that, you know, the book will get people inspired and say, oh, this is what it can be like. And if they want to be an engineer and they need to know that theory, they need to know some of that really deep dive information, then they can learn after that. Um, but it's yeah. definitely the book is, is just literally like step one to deployment of building a web app. Yeah. And I, I was reading some of your stuff. And I think a lot of people can identify with this. You said you were, you're reading other tutorials uh, and, and there was things that just, you're like, why are they explaining it that way? Yeah. Can you, can you think of an example of a way, you know, that it was being explained one way and you decided to explain it another way? Yeah. The big thing right now in, in Django is class-based views. Okay. Uh, and, you know, and it's for, for excellent programmers, class-based views where you can like, make a piece of, of code that is so reusable and you can just tie it into a billion places and makes your code like so efficient. My husband often says to me when I'm talking about how to do something, he's like, oh yeah, you can do that in like five lines. You know? yeah. 
because that's yeah. like the big thing you do. You have to like cut it down to like the most perfect little piece of code. Yeah. Uh, I feel very strongly that does not work for a beginner. Uh, yeah. Hello Web App has taught, I guess, function-based views where like literally the, it's like a view per page kind of, and it just, you know, top down in the code walks you through everything that's happening. So the code yeah. is not efficient. It's not pretty. Yeah. Um, and this is still the code I use for Wedding Lovely. It made sense to me to write it this way. It means that when I need to figure out what's going on, I don't have to like think really hard about like what's tying in and what, what's going to break if I move, change one thing that's tied to five other things. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's, you know, other beginner tutorials for Django still to this day that are just like class-based views are the way to go. And I'm just like, that's, I totally disagree with that. Yeah. Hello Web App teaches Django Web App Programming. It doesn't necessarily teach Python. And so like the first chapter says, hey, if you're learning Python, uh, I recommend uh, a few resources, including Zed Shaw's Learn Python the Hard Way. All right. I want to go back a little bit and yeah. talk about how you promoted the book because um, it sounds like an interesting kind of timeline. Uh, I don't know a lot. I, I know that you started with Kickstarter and then you went from there. So maybe just walk me through, you know, you had the idea and then what happened next? Uh, the first thing I did was actually reached out to a few publishers just so I can have that idea if publishers would think it would be interesting. Um, I reached out to my ideal publisher in the whole world, which is a book apart that they, will, okay. they do a lot of books for designers. And I was thinking, ah, oh, Django for designers. Cause they have like HTML5 for designers, it's like yep. Django for designers. This will totally fit in. I sent over, um, I think I wrote something like 3000 words, like the basic introduction to the book. Yeah. And I sent it over to the editor and the editor's like, this is too big of a scope. And I'm like, no, the book is going to be the size of your books. I'm pretty sure I can do that. And I, you know, this is pretty small and yeah, it looks like a book apart book. Yeah, it was really my inspiration. They're seriously my idols. Mm. Uh, but there was no way I can convince her of that until I had the book completely finished. So they yeah. turned me down. Uh, and I ended up talking with uh, No Starch Press, which has all of their royalties online. And they accepted the book. They told me they would accept it. But the royalties were like, I'm going to screw this up. But it was something like $8,000 uh, advance for... 10% royalties or something like that. Wow. Okay. Um, which is actually fairly standard in the industry. Yeah. And I was looking at that and I'm like, okay, I could do that and have an $8,000 advance, or I could work with Kickstarter and get that advance because as a, you know, I went through design school and I have editorial design experience. And so a lot of the things that the publisher would give me, which would be, you know, formatting a book, actually, I'd probably yeah. be more irritated if someone else was formatting it than I was because I'd be yeah. really opinionated. I wanted to do that anyways. So decided that Kickstarter, you know, hopefully would be the way to go and hopefully would get um, funded. So that's yeah. how I got to that decision. That's awesome. Did you, did you use that, uh, that idea of, you know, I could go to a publisher and get an advance or I could go to Kickstarter. Did you ever uh, use that as a, a way to promote the Kickstarter? Yeah, I didn't really use it the way pro Kickstarter. The biggest thing to Kickstarter was actually, I launched it in time for PyCon um, Canada. Yeah. Uh, so this was last summer. and. I have a lot of friends in the Python community already. I was actually giving a tutorial on what I was hoping to have the content on. The book wasn't written, but the tutorial was called Django for Designers. I was getting a tutorial there. Okay. Um, so I got to test out the writing, the material I had, and then throughout the tutorial, I was like, support my Kickstarter. And then I'd be at the conference and I'd find like the big wigs that have the $8,000 or 8,000 Twitter followers. And I'd be like, tweet out my Kickstarter. And I basically just ran from person to person getting wow. to promote the um 
the Kickstarter. So you were doing some hustle. Like you went to yeah. the conference and you were going up to people. Uh, that's Luckily, pretty- they're mostly my friends and they mostly knew of me already. So it made, yeah. it, it made it easier. It wasn't like complete strangers off the block. Be like, hey, you don't know me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I could be like, hey, remember me? Now I have a Kickstarter and you really should tweet this out. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's actually a topic I bring up in the book. Um, how do you, how did you build those relationships? How how did they kind of know who you were mm-hmm. before you know, PyCon? I love the Python community, and I, you know I don't know about much about other communities. But when I first started learning Python, uh, well, a, it helped that my husband uh, does Python as well. He's a contributor to a lot of um, of big Python projects, including uh, I guess technically he's a contributor to Request because he he wrote an underlying library that Requests use, which is a really big library in Python. Oh, cool. Uh, so a he he does know a lot of people in Python. So when I said, "Hey, I'm going to learn Python as well." I got access to a few people, but then uh, when I started, we can start talking about Wedding Lovely as high as it in. When I first saw Wedding Lovely, I wrote a few articles on uh, learning, or how was the order of this? I wrote, oh yeah, I wrote an article about finding a co-founder. Okay. Uh, and, um, and I was like, I'm quitting my job and I'm running a web. I want to launch this website and I want to find a co-founder. This is before I decided to uh learn how to program and it actually got a ton of upvotes on hacker news and i got a ton of twitter followers because of this post um which is really strange i don't think a post like that would ever get anywhere near the top on hacker news nowadays yeah Uh, so i had some python resources but my husband does not do django whatsoever and i knew i needed to do django because i needed all that stuff that's built into it for beginners yeah So i tweeted out being like hey i'm learning django does anyone have resources, whatnot. And a few people uh, were like, hey, I would totally love to help you out. People I never met before, which was super cool. Wow. Uh, so Kenneth Love, he's a big, uh, he works a lot with Django. He's currently in Portland. Um, he was running a, like some tutorials online, like blog. It was like learn how to make a blog, which I eventually used to build Wedding Lovely. Uh, he, I got him on uh, IM and I was able to ask him questions, really stupid questions. Uh, and then I met another person in the Bay Area, just randomly met up at a co-working space. And he walked me through the major things in Django, like Django packages and uh, Pinax, and all these other things that are built on Django to help out for beginners. Yeah. So the community definitely, um, I had some Twitter followers and I was really lucky to have the community reach out to me to help out. Yeah. Although it also seems like you were willing to ask for help. Yeah, I like, <laughs> I love bootstrapping off other people. <laughs> yeah. You know, because there's people, everyone's smarter than me. I kind of feel like that sometimes. Uh, and, you know, it, it works for Wedding Lovely. Um, when I ask for help with uh, marketing and SEO and everything like that, um, people love being opinionated. You can tweet it out and people are like, wow, this is the way to do it. I'm like, all right, check. You know, there's yeah. one answer I have. Um, it definitely helped out for the book, you know, asking people for help with with, with uh, promotion. Uh, it's bootstrapping off other people, um, you know, not taking advantage, but, you know, being willing to ask for help has been such a boon over the last five years for both of my ventures. Yeah. And it sounds like that's how you were able to build a lot of those relationships is mm-hmm. to be, to, uh, you know, to ask for help. And maybe that's even, uh, that's counter to, to, some of our natural instincts, which is to want to appear like you're in control and yeah. maybe to appear like you are in more control than you really are. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, sometimes it's not just asking for help. It's something, sometimes it's just, uh, just saying what's going on 
um, like being honest about your experiences. Like some things for Wedding Lovely, I've written some posts about things I wish I did differently, um, yeah. marketing and all that, which does people like reading about that. I like being honest about my experiences because Wedding Lovely hasn't been a running, runaway success. Um, yeah. You know, it's kind of, uh, it's been in the middle, which has been, you know, enough to keep it running, but not enough that I can get fund, funding for it or, you know, hire a bunch of employees. Yeah. Uh, so I like to talk about the things like why I think that's happened. Um, talk about yeah. the troubles I'm having and, and people do reach out on their own without you necessarily asking directly for help. Yeah. And that, that vulnerability is interesting. Well, it's uh, kind of the women in tech thing. It's the being self-deprecating, which I get in trouble with all the time because I'll have some meetings with some awesome people and I'll be like, they'll be like talking about wedding lovely. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's terrible. Like I, yeah. that's what I do. I'm like, Oh, wedding lovely is not a runaway success. I always do that. Uh, and it's, not always a good thing because I have to be like, Hey, wedding lovely has made, I look on Stripe and it'll be like $50,000 that I've accumulated the last four years, which is peanuts for startups, but it's a huge amount of money. Sometimes I feel like I've, uh, conned it out of people. Yeah. Well, and it's a huge amount of money. If if you were looked at every startup ever created Mm -hmm. and how many of them are still at revenue zero, uh, that's a huge amount of money. But I, I think the vulnerability is still, I, like the the most successful interviews I've done, the most successful blog posts I've done is when, for whatever reason, I just felt like, oh, okay, I'll just let people know what it's really like. Mm-hmm. And um, I think um, maybe you can overdo it, but I more often yeah. than not, I think vulnerability and just saying, this is what happened and this is what I learned from it. That's interesting yeah. to people. Yeah. One of the things I hate most about startup founders when I run into people like this is that people where everything is amazing. Um, yeah. And it's just like, they're awesome. They're killing it. Nothing is going wrong. They're going to be like, you know, rocket ship to the moon next week. Yeah. Uh, and it's exhausting. And you know, that's not right. You know, that's just, that's their personality. Just like brag, brag, brag. Everything is amazing. And especially for startups, it's probably not amazing. It's probably like they go home in the open corner. That's what yeah. I do, you know? <laughs> yeah, really hard. Yeah. yeah and it's just kind of exhausting to hear that. People like to hear the real stories. And that has also helped me with Budding Lovely. Um, I work with small businesses. And when I send out emails to them being honest, like, hey, I'm just, you know, I'm one person working from home. I'm building this website uh, to help you out. I just, you know, I'm really passionate about your business. And so it's like a me and it's what I'm working on. Um, And I'm honest sometimes like, oh, I'm trying to get funding or things. I don't necessarily ever say things aren't going well because I don't want to worry. Um, it's, It's more being human with them. And it's definitely helped out compared to. You know, some wedding startups out there, which are very corporate, they're very like, we're a big organization, blah, blah, blah. It's helping yeah. you stand out from the crowd. Yeah, totally. You know who else does this that I love? And and he's the one that kind of inspired me to try to be more like this is Nate Cotney. Do you know Nate Cotney? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Nate, from the beginning, was like, when he when he was running draft, he was like, you know, here's me and my dog. And, you know, every time you yeah. pay for a draft membership, it helps me feed yeah, my dog. And, and, and now, um, you know, he's working for essentially, well, he's high rise, right? high rise, yeah. but he, 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 uh, just hired his wife as the chief operating oh, officer and, you know, there's this transparency and personability about that, that mm-hmm. I think a lot of other people would shy away from like, I don't oh, think I my husband and I can work together. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but even that he's sharing it like this, cause you yeah. know, it's like, well, if it's just a husband and wife, that makes it seem like not as professional or, you know, and yeah. I, I just love his 
personability, I think, is is the big thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, and I, is still a great product, even though he's not 100 working on it. Yeah. I use it for writing my Hello Web app. Oh, cool! Yeah, mm-hmm. I use it all the time too. That's awesome. So let's go back to that Kickstarter. So mm-hmm. you 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 decided to do this Kickstarter uh, serendipitously. Is that a word? Serendipitously? Yeah, I think so. Or at least it should be. <laughs> Feels like I'm saying it wrong. And there's a yeah. Canadian Canadian. I make up words all the time. Uh, but you know, you had this. It, it, you launched it, and then you had PyCon at the same time. Well, I launched it for PyCon. I launched it early because of PyCon. So it wasn't gotcha. necessarily serendipitously. Yeah, uh, you, you planned it. Yeah, it was, um, I moved it forward and it was kind of stressful because I had to get everything ready. Um, yeah. and the book wasn't, you know, in any finished state in terms of the Kickstarter, but I was like, oh, wait, this is such an opportunity that I need to, you know, move things around to make it happen. Yeah. And is that, did that really move the needle having all those people share it? Like, do you think that was a key to the success? It's hard to tell, you know, what would happen if I didn't do it. Uh, You know, a lot of Kickstarter, Kickstarter is kind of like the nice way of asking your friends for money, uh, which is a little like hurts a little bit. I'm like, oh, you know, support my Kickstarter. And then a friend sends over $50 and I'm like, oh, hi, thank you, friends. If I feel a little bad about that, I'm hoping strangers on the internet will take care of that for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, um, it definitely helped. I think a lot of Python, it's like, ugh. I don't know offhand exact numbers, but feeling wise, I want to say like 60% of the donations probably came from people in the Python community. Uh, they were super supportive. It wasn't like newbies looking for the book. It was people who want to support the book, even though they didn't need it. Yeah. Uh, which was really awesome. Um, I had a big contribution. Uh, I, I guess a sponsorship from a startup that was in the Django community just want to reach other Django people. So there was that, there was the Python community. Um, I did get a lot of backers through Kickstarter, which was cool. I think overall it was over 500 backers. Um, wow. But I think a lot of it was just like the support of the Kickstarter, or excuse me, support of the Python community um, and Ergo, you know, launching at Python, PyCon really helped out with that. Yeah. I love that story because I think the challenge we often have as makers uh, is that we want to stay in our basement and, and build things. Yeah. And, uh, the, this idea that you had to, you had to get out there and actually talk to people face to face. And, and maybe there's even some hesitancy to share what we're working on. And I think, um, regardless of, of why people were supporting the, the Kickstarter, what I like about Kickstarter is that it's, it's way different than taking angel money or venture money. It's like people are saying, like, I believe in this. And maybe the whole, um, mm-hmm. the whole job to be done is just that they want to have an, an investment in whatever the project is. Right. Yeah. And, and to this day, people still, I mean, I, I've bought a lot of, uh, 30, I bought both 37 signals books just mm-hmm. because I wanted to invest in the movement more than, um, yeah. the content, you know? So there's always these other kinds of, um, you know, jobs that people are, are, uh, kind of hiring products to do or hiring, you know, in this case, a Kickstarter sponsorship to do, Yeah. but you, but meeting people face to face and saying, you know, I've got this idea to launch this book. What do you think? And then you can yeah. get the direct re- reaction. It's more persuasive because I could send an email to that same person. Emails are so easy to ignore. Yeah. When you go up to them, at, you know, again, as a human, being like, hey, I have this Kickstarter. would love you. Love it if you could, you know, tweet it out. Uh, I think it's just vastly more uh, likely that the person will go ahead and do that. Yeah. And you can also get their direct uh Feedback, feedback, like you can yeah, read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I, I wonder if it would have been different um, 
if you were talking about uh, kickstarting uh, Wedding Lovely. Yeah, I probably would have because I, you know, Py, you know, being at PyCon talking to Python people working on a project that's going to be improving the Python ecosystem. Essentially, yeah. um, is very aligned. Uh, Kickstarter for Wedding Lovely that's such a fascinating idea. Uh, the wedding industry kind of drives me nuts because I guess I working with you know, developers and launching a book, marketing and running all that has been so much easier than working in the wedding industry. And the wedding industry is different because there's uh, a billion and a half different wedding startups out there. They're all vying for attention because a lot of people jump into the industry thinking, oh, it's a wedding. People are spending $28,000 on average on a wedding. I'll just launch my product and just rake in the cash, which is not at all. Yeah. and bloggers, there's so many bloggers out there, like you're trying to get your product out and get people talking about it. And bloggers just like, well, I'll talk about it if you pay me $800. Yeah. Sponsored posts are the way that they make, they all make money. Yeah. Uh, whereas the book was like, you know, I launched a book and people were excited about talking about it. You know, they didn't ask for money for me for, you know, putting it out there and to talk about it and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's, it was totally different. It's honestly more refreshing. Yeah. Now you, you have a post. Uh, I didn't want to read it because I wanted to hear it from you. Uh, you said it was basically saying what you wish you would have done or what oh, yeah. what you wish would have you would have done with your Kickstarter campaign. So tell me, how did it go? Because it seems like you raised a fair amount of money. Um, what what would you do differently if you did it next time? Yeah, I think it was the book of post was like the book in general. I'm not sure. One of the biggest thing was launch on time. Uh, Kickstarter campaigns are often, they often run long and a lot of people are expecting, uh, expect that. Uh, but there's some people who launched my, or who support my campaign that had never supported a campaign before and was looking at it as like, we're ordering this and it's coming out on the date, uh, mm. which is my fault. <laughs> I was actually a year delayed. Okay. Lots of, I can probably fill up the rest of this podcast or this, this time here um, telling you all the reasons why, but essentially it was a year late and I would get emails like near daily from backers being like, Hey, I don't understand what's going on, but I haven't gotten my book yet. And I'd be like, mm-hmm. well, it's still being worked on. I'm sending, re- I'm sending updates like every two weeks being like, this is what's going on. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing is, is that uh, I just announced yesterday on Twitter, I'm actually working on a follow-up book. Oh, and, really? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's kind of scary. This time I'm actually finishing the book before mm-hmm. the new Kickstarter comes out. Um, Interesting. I haven't mentioned that yet, but I'll be doing another Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, just because printing a book costs me several thousand dollars. And that's pretty much the only way I can pay for printing the book is if I have some money on hand. Um, yeah. So Kickstarter is kind of the way I can do that. Uh, so I'll be doing a Kickstarter again and I'm kind of applying these lessons. So A is having the book finished, like the first draft finished before yeah. I run the campaign. Cause at least then I have a good idea in terms of how long it's going to take. Yeah. Um, and I think I mentioned a few other things. Like one of them was a video. You want to be uh, a video is crucial. And I had that and my video is professionally done by a friend of mine, um, which was awesome. Who's a professional videographer. Yeah. Uh, but I was sitting and I, and every time I watch the video, I can't watch it. Cause I'm just like leaning forward and I'm so static yeah. and I should have been standing. And yeah. more alive. And I think that was one of the, the tiny regrets. I, I just can't watch the video. Uh, I just wish <laughs> I was like, yeah, not, bleh, you know. Yeah. But that was, that's the, like the one big thing um, and the one small thing. I can't recall anything else right now. It's probably more. So it third. sounds like you would do it again. Like the Kickstarter experience overall was yeah. positive. Well, you are doing it again. I am doing it again. Yes. Um, I don't know when, what we're recording is going to be live. So. 
uh, <laughs> but it'll be running for the month of September. Okay. Um, and I am launching, I, I actually, the same thing as before, I'm launching it uh, earlier than I thought because timing, I'm going to be speaking at DjangoCon US in Austin in early September. And then I'm running a workshop in San Francisco on the book's content in collaboration with Hackray Academy in the end of September. So I was just like, well, shoot, if I'm gonna be running a Kickstarter campaign, I'm already gonna be at this conference. I'm already gonna be at this like this really big event. I think something like 50 people have signed up for the workshop so far, which is frightening. Wow, uh, awesome. So having the Kickstarter out during these two conferences, I'm, I'm doing that same tactic again. So I can go run up to people in person and be like, yeah, please promote. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so, so you would do Kickstarter again. Yeah. Uh, let's keep going now. So, and actually let's get into a few things that you felt slowed you down. Cause that's, I think something all of us makers struggle oh, yeah. with is, um, you know, sometimes we can't ship on time. This book I'm writing marketing for developers. I put on the shelf for a year or something uh-huh. like that. And so what, uh, you know, what are a few things that, that, uh, that happened that delayed yeah. the launch? Uh, the biggest thing was that um, I ran the Kickstarter and in my Kickstarter description, I said, you know, the money is going to help me take full time, like take time off of Wedding Lovely and support myself so I can work on the book full time. Uh, what actually happened uh, is Wedding Lovely all of a sudden had an investor who wanted to invest. And I was like, oh, crap, is this the time? This is a good time for me to fundraise for Wedding Lovely mm. uh, because I never had an investor come to me and like give me money, which is cool, you know? Yeah. Um, but what happened is I, I got like one other small investor and I spent the, the summer being like, okay, cool, I'm actually going to fundraise for Wedding Lovely because it's something I've thought about doing for the last four years. Yeah. Uh, and so instead of spending the summer on working on my book, I spent the summer fundraising instead. And I never actually talked about that publicly because I felt really embarrassed about running a Kickstarter. And then not fulfilling that promise to work on it full time. But the yeah. opportunity, potential opportunity for Wedding Lovely was too great uh, with mm-hmm. this investment. What happened is I completely face planted with fundraising. I went to a billion beating, meetings and a billion meetings all told me no, but they didn't tell me no immediately. It was over a series of months. Yeah. Uh, and I ended up finishing, like stopping fundraising in November after my last no. And then I spent December just like in depression because it was just like such a fundraising is so hard yeah, uh, and so like mentally straining. Um, so that vastly slowed down the book um, during that time. And I, I regret it. Uh, if what in Lily's fundraising was successful, it'd be a better story, but the yeah. fact that it failed and then I was delayed on the book, which is this awful, you know, period of time. Yeah. Creator's yeah. guilt. I, yeah. think we, I think we get creator's guilt a lot. And the, the challenge is that, is that on one hand, you want to be able to give people some sort of idea when you're going to be done yeah. with, with whatever, you know, a new feature for Wedding Lovely, uh, uh, your book, anything. You want to be able to tell people, well, it's not going to happen in 10 years. It's going to happen in this yeah. time frame. The, I think the challenge, especially for us when we're independent, uh, but even teams struggle with this, is stuff happens. and. Yeah. Um, that could be, you know, I've Especially had for, it's a side project, you know, yeah, yeah. And your real life suddenly wallops you on the face. Like, ah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the vast majority of people are understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, there's, yeah, no one got mad at me. They yeah. asked, well, that's about, great. Like, why was the delay? And I'd be like, oh, I feel horrible. This is what's happening. And they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. So, it's nice. So again, that, that idea of being honest and, yeah. uh, you know, just being, 
straightforward with people. Well, I wasn't honest about the fundraising. <laughs> I, you know, I did have a slew of excuses, but I don't think I ever mentioned the fundraising because it's just like such a conflict of interest. Yeah. And it, you know, it kind of weighs on me now. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and there's other things that were, that I did talk about that did delay the book. Like one of the things is uh, the fact that I, I did a actual book as compared to an ebook. Yeah. Um, it was just, it's just like designer, like in me just had to have a real book because it's too cool to be able to pull it out when yeah. I'm being video. I'm like, look at my book. This is so yeah. cool. Uh, but you know, designing the book, I hadn't done editorial design forever, creating an act, you know, creating a nice cover and then printing. I ended up going with a printer in China because okay. they, as compared to one locally, I w- always want to support local businesses, but the one locally was going to be $10 per book. And yeah. if I wanted to sell on Amazon, I would not, I'd be losing money on every book if I was selling that. Um, so this I've book talked I, to a number of people who have looked into the same thing and oh yeah. right now for printing anything. It's, it's really hard to do anything other than China. Yeah. If you actually want to, you know, recoup your costs. Yeah. But the problem with China is that I worked with Print Ninja. They're amazing. Highly recommend them. The quality is awesome and their support is so great. Uh, but, you know, unless you pay, a ton of more money for air shipping. Um, the books are being shipped on a boat, which takes two months. And I had oh, wow. no idea it was going to take two months for the prints, for the books that come to me. And apparently there was this whole thing with a uh, shipping lane traffic happened during the time really still going on right now um, that delayed it further, but I had no idea. That was like a two month period. I had no idea about. So with this book that I'm working on right now, which should be out by December, I know I have to be completely 100% finished with it with early October in order to reach that. Like I'm aware of those challenges now, which makes it yeah. easier. Yeah. That you learned from the process. It- yeah. It's so much easier when you do it once, you figure out where you failed. It makes things easier that, you know, the second time around, but mm-hmm. when you're going into the first, you know, first round, it's a little scary. So what else did you do for for promoting the book? Um, did you do anything while you were writing it? Did you have a mailing list? Were, oh, were yeah. you still blogging? The Kickstarter was also huge for building up a mailing list. I Before I ran the Kickstarter, I immediately put up a, you know, a, a, what do you call it, landing page. Yeah. Uh, so I can start collecting email addresses. So both on the Kickstarter side, but then people can also go to the webpage, not, you know, support the Kickstarter, but still give me their email address. And I can keep them informed of updates. Um, yeah. I think before I ran the Kickstarter, I actually did this a little bit earlier on. I probably had like a hundred people on the landing page because I did launch it to like my Twitter followers. Like I'm writing a book. And then mm-hmm. I was able to be like, I'm running a Kickstarter and send that to the small list and kind of watched both of them grow. And yeah. then I kept, you know, kept that page up as I was working on the book. So anyone who was asking what I was working on, I'd be like, Hey, go to this page and sign up. Um, total big help. Yeah. Uh, the second huge thing that really helped out in terms of marketing a book, again, by having a physical book, was getting, I'm not going to say professional photos because that's, I did the photos, I'm not a professional, but I took really, I got a preliminary copy of the book printed. It yeah. was like with the first draft copy, it was, you know, all the main spelling errors and all my grammar errors and everything. Um, the cover was the only thing that was done, not the spine or the back cover. But I got that done. I, um, through print on demand, I just got one book printed and then I started taking uh, lovely, beautiful photos of it because it's like, whoo, this is a real book. And yeah. I put that on the website. I put it on the Twitter feed because I, I actually created a Twitter account for Hell Web App so I didn't spam my personal followers with all of my updates. Yeah. So if someone really wants to know the updates, they can follow this other one. Um, so I put these photos everywhere, which was a huge help because I, you know, I don't think anyone came to me necessarily directly. Like, I love these photos. But when you can see a product that looks real and it looks, you know, especially if my photos, like they're 
take on DSLR and they had like the lovely like uh, fading out background and whatnot. It looked fairly yeah. professional. Um, kind of instills confidence in a project. Yeah. Like, people say, oh, this is going to be good quality because yeah. the materials surrounding it are good quality. Yeah. And th- there's actually two things that I'm, I'm uh, going to just pick up on. Because uh, we're talking really about building trust. I think whenever you're selling yeah. a product, people want to trust you. Yeah. And it sounds like you've done, you did a couple of things. One is that you had, you didn't just show up one day. You already had been writing blog posts before you decided to do a book. You'd done these tutorials. Yeah. Obviously going to conferences. And I think, you know, having that kind of, a lot of people won't see the the long road of content behind uh, somebody and they assume that the trust was instilled instantaneously. Oh, yeah. Um, but that's not true. It, it, you were doing things beforehand. And then also you, with the, you know, you were teasing out things that helped people trust you even more. Like this is going to be a really well put together product. Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely helps that I have the skills as a designer and I kind of have tried to frame my design. I to kind of pick up on those things. Um, that's mm-hmm. helping both with Wedding Lovely and the book because I can just, I don't have to outsource that. I can just, you know, work on it myself. And I, I know that I can provide a pretty good looking product. Um, yeah. And it definitely, I mean, especially for Wedding Lovely too, like having a professional looking website, um, you know, people are like, oh, okay. They're more likely to sign up when they yeah. see something that's, uh, that visually looks professional. Like this is yeah. a professional service and they'll take care of me as compared to say um, a bad web design where it looks unprofessional and that will kind of instill in their mind that you could, their interactions and what, you know, what the service is going to be like is going to be unprofessional or, you know, not as great. The truth is I think a lot of great products do get launched that don't get noticed just because yeah. there's no reach and the reach comes from people talking about it and sharing it and, uh, and a lot of that is on the story, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, the, the story is interesting when you have some sort of narrative that people can share. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah. Writing about your experiences, blog posts have been so helpful to me for expanding the amount of say Twitter followers I have, um, which I feel is like a fairly good at like feel for how big your reach is. Yeah. Uh, again, just like being real, talking about my experiences, writing about things that have gone well, writing things that don't go well with Wedding Lovely and the book. Um, I always regret not blogging more. I never regret blogging. It's always, if I haven't blogged in a long time, it's, it's actually worse for my career. Because for a long time with Wedding Lovely, I just went 100% Wedding Lovely. This is before the book. I had to stop blogging altogether. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, my uh, connections with people I made before and my ability to make new connections, everything just went stale um, because mm-hmm. I wasn't, wasn't writing um, and I wasn't reaching out and trying to to expand my network. And I really regret that period of time because I kind of, uh, I knew some really cool people in the Bay, Bay area and I just lost complete connection with them. And so when yeah. I was launching these new products, I was like, ah, why didn't I continue this? Like it was yeah. a huge regret. Yeah. I've, uh, um, no, not going to forget his name. Is it Gabe Weinberg? He suggests uh 50, 50, 50 product, 50% product development, 50% kind of uh, blogging, marketing, networking, yeah. that kind of th- stuff. And I it's think that's exhausting, a but yeah, necessary. Yeah. I think it's a good mix. Mm-hmm. So, so what, what's next for, for wedding lovely? What, what are your plans for that? Are you uh, going to yeah. keep working on it? Yeah. What- continue working on it. Like I said, it's not a runaway success. Um, I tried fundraising. It didn't work out, but it, it kind of runs itself because the way I've built the company, um, vendors join my vendor directory. They, they, 
send out an email to be approved. I can just approve it pretty easily. Um, and then there's a whole slew of automated systems that kind of take care of sending emails and welcome emails and getting started. Um, and I have a planning app, pretty much the same thing. And so it kind of runs without my involvement, which is awesome for when I need to take time off to work on the book. But things always improve when I jump back into it and I work on it full time. Right now, my, my biggest thing is uh, how do I improve because Wedding Lovely, I run is like both a planning guide to walk people through wedding planning, but I also have a public facing vendor directory where I try to showcase awesome small business, uh, local vendors near a person. And yeah. my biggest thing right now I'm working on is actually how to improve those results, which has been really fun because I, you know, before building web app, I just like display information. I mean, I, that's all I was focused on for, you know, first three years or so of working at Wedding Lovely. But now I'm looking on how to improve information. And then I, I actually was working last night on an algorithm for ranking vendors in terms of their quality based on factors on their profile. But okay. then I also have to pull that into the search results when it's, you know, you're trying right now, search results are ordered by just location where it's like closest, next closest, next closest. Yeah. But when I have a ranking for these vendors, how do I up that, update that location search? So it's not necessarily by location, but it's still relevant to them. But then the best vendors float to the top. So this yeah. is where the computer science stuff, I think that if I had those that degree, there'd be a lot more stuff I would know at this point and how to do that kind of algorithmic type stuff. Yeah. Which is a little but, frustrating, but it's fun. Yeah, well, now you actually have that first platform built. Yeah. So, yeah, the, it might be a challenge to build that next piece, but now at least you have that first part built. You've got yeah. something running that people are using. And that's what I say with the book is that you don't need a computer science degree to get that first part out. Um, just to get a web app out and start get, start accumulating information. It's really simple. You don't need crazy theory, computer science engineering type stuff in your web app. And just like me, people can learn it as they go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's awesome. I, I think that's a good place to leave it, Tracy. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This has been really fun. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I just realized listening back to that track that I was bumping my microphone a ton during that interview. I'm really sorry about that. Hopefully it did not drive you crazy. Um, I'm going to make sure that I adjust this mic setup so that doesn't happen again. Please go and follow Tracy on Twitter at Lime Daring. Uh, you can also follow me. I'm at M.I. Justin and uh, check out Tracy's projects as well. Uh, HelloWebApp.com. She's in the midst of her new Kickstarter, HelloWebApp.com slash Kickstarter. All right. I'll see you next time. I've got a few more interviews in the bag that are going to be coming out in the next probably three weeks. So keep an eye on that. And also go check out JustinJackson.ca slash Marketing for Developers. The final version, the big launch is coming up in October. Talk to you soon.
podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.